You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. A number of years ago, I was in a church service in which it, there was kind of a quiet moment in the service, and I was sitting in the pew where I was, and I looked over, and a, a few rows ahead of me, sitting on the aisle, was a man who was there in church, but he was sound asleep. Like, I mean asleep. Like, he was so asleep that there was drool coming out of his mouth. And not just a little bit of drool. He was so asleep that there was a string of drool going from his mouth all the way to the floor, and it was fully connected. Now, I'm saying, you're like, that's a little disturbing this close to lunch. I'm just telling you to illustrate the fact that dude was asleep. Now, don't feel at all like I'm, I'm sort of like going to now wedge into you and to say, you know, I saw somebody sleeping here. People who know me well know that I myself have fallen asleep at inopportune and inappropriate times. So I'm not up here criticizing. And in and, and all fairness, who knows that the man may have got off a night shift or, or, or maybe he's not sleeping well or something like that. And, maybe, and if you know what that's like, or maybe some medications you're taking, you know, there's times in which you, you don't want to fall asleep, but you just can't keep your eyes open. We, we know that feeling. But the reason I share it is because it wasn't lost on me that we're in a worship service and he was fast asleep. But here's the thing. It's been my observation. It's been my observation that, well, even people who are wide awake in church can be every bit as unengaged as the person who's in the first or second stage of REM sleep. You can be present, eyes open, looking at me, but preoccupied. You can, uh, you can be participating here in terms of singing the song and singing along, but, but in your heart, in your mind, disengaged or distracted or daydreaming. Or I find this is just every bit as common. We find ourselves showing up in church and we, we come with maybe a, a dullness of heart that comes from a real familiarity. Ah, this is, I'm used to this place and I'm used to these activities. And we kind of forget sometimes what it is that we're here to do. And namely, that is to worship God. You know, the author of Ecclesiastes, he saw this issue in his day. Remember, Ecclesiastes is written by someone who, it seems to me, went on a journey away from God, but then has come back to him and is writing a journal in the book of Ecclesiastes about some true observations about life in this world. And to this point in our study, he's been looking at things sort of out there uh, horizontally in the world. But when you come into chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes, it's different terrain. He goes from a horizontal perspective to now thinking in terms of vertical issues. He, he walks into the house of the Lord having been away from God and shows up there probably with a sense of anticipation about getting back with God's people and being encouraged in worship and the blessing that comes from, from being together and encouraging one another and making much of God together. And he shows up at the house of the Lord and what does he find? He finds a lot of drool, a lot of slumber, a lot of dis disinterestedness. He finds lots of words and songs. 
but without the heart and the engagement of the mind. And he had a word for this. He, he had a word that he, he used to describe what he saw in the house of God, and it was vanity or empty, fruitless. That's what we have in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. We've got a passage that is it's born out of an observation about what was happening amongst God's people by this man's observation. But what it is for us is, I think, a real wake-up call for daydreaming worshipers. It serves as smelling salts. Like, you know, the hockey players on the bench before the game, they get the smelling salts going, right? Just get engaged, get your head in the game and get ready. This passage is like that, smelling salts, a little ammonia to the nostrils to, to get, us, get us alert and looking and thinking about what is it that I am here to do. It's a passage that calls us to engage our minds and our hearts in that which we are made for to worship God. And I want you to see it. Will you turn with me, please, to Ecclesiastes chapter 5? Ecclesiastes 5, and we're going to be looking at this morning verses 1 to 7. Ecclesiastes 5, 1 to 7. The title of my sermon is Worship Like You Mean It. Worship Like You Mean It. This is in our teaching series through the book of Ecclesiastes. We're calling it Making Sense of Life. Subtitle is Wisdom for the Real World. From Ecclesiastes. Each of these texts brings to us a kind of wisdom from God that is so important to us. And like I said a moment ago, when you come to Ecclesiastes 5, you can see there's a bit of a different focus now. It goes from, he goes from uh, looking at life out there to looking at life in here in terms of the house of the Lord. He, he goes from uh, reflecting on the secular to the sacred. And what he sees when he comes to worship, what he saw was an emptiness. And emptiness, he said, there's lots of emptiness in the world around. And then he shows up at the house of the Lord and he says, you know, there's kind of there's some emptiness in here. And he has some things to say to us about it. I want to read from Ecclesiastes chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. He says this, he says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Guard your steps. It's like, it's sort of akin to saying, watch your step. You ever seen a sign that says, watch your step? Maybe there's something you're going to trip over, or the floor is wet or something like that. If somebody says you watch your step, they mean pay attention to where you're walking. Pay attention. Be alert. He says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they, that they are doing evil. Well, what's the sacrifice of fools, I wonder? Well, look at verse 2. He tells us, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. So what's the sacrifice of fools? It's just saying stuff. Don't, if you're rash with your mouth, it doesn't mean a rash in your mouth. That could be painful. But a rash, being rash with your mouth means you just say stuff that I'm not even necessarily thinking about. Or I don't necessarily mean. Be hasty in my heart to utter a word before God means I just, I'm just going to say something. I'm going to sing some songs. He says, don't do that. Don't, don't be rash with your mouth. Don't let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. Notice, for God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. All God's people said, whoa. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. I think that the sense there is a tricky verse to understand. I, 
I think the sense there, I think the true sense of this verse is that just like, just like restlessness, just like restlessness is accompanied by immense pressures in your life. Like when you're under pressure, you've got a lot going on. How many of you find you don't sleep really well? It's just tough to sleep. How many of you find that? Just with six or eight of us, and oh, okay, no, a whole bunch more of us. We find it tough to sleep. And you know, sometimes you can have a lot of really weird dreams in those seasons. And I think that's what he's kind of talking about. Just as restlessness uh, in sleep comes with immensity of pressure, so foolishness comes with lots of words. Like the way we're wired in our makeup and our fallenness, the more we got to say, the greater risk we have of just saying stuff that we don't mean to God. Verse 4, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. In other words, you got a commitment to something you say I'm going to do for the Lord. God has spoken to you and you hear it and you're going to respond. Yes, Lord, there's an act of obedience you need to take here. He says, do it. Don't, don't just say you're going to do it, but do it. Verse 6, let not your mouth lead you into sin and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. There's that word we see again and again and again in Ecclesiastes. Vanity, emptiness, futility. Remember, it's in the context of worship. When dreams increase and words grow, grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Now, I think that's the main backbone of this section. Having a healthy fear of God believing and knowing in your heart that God is God and conducting yourself accordingly, including when you come to worship. Here's the main point, as I understand it. The heart of worship is marked by reverence for God. The heart of worship, the heart of a true worshiper, somebody who exalts in God, somebody who delights in God, is a person who has a reverence for God. They're in awe of him. Like, I'm worshiping him when the words of my mouth and the songs that I'm singing are coming from a heart and a mind that's gripped by the greatness of God. God is great, loved ones. He is great and awesome in majesty and in power and in wisdom and holiness. And the more we see that as saved, as, as people who are saved from sin, the more we see the splendor and the beauty of God, it does something to us. It wells up in us a sense of awe and wonder that overflows in worship. The heart of worship is marked by reverence for God. The person who would truly honor God is indeed gripped with his majesty. And it overflows in adoration. It's expressed in affection for God that comes out of the conviction that he is worthy of our praise. You know, it's a true observation in life that we praise what we enjoy. 
Leanne and I and the kids just got back from a trip out east. We uh, Gas was $2 a liter, so we thought, hey, what a great time to go on a road trip. And so off we went. That's just weird. Just when we were able to do it, none of the circumstances, so we, we went for it. And we, we made our way through Ottawa and Quebec City and then drove through New Brunswick. It appears to me, if you're from New Brunswick, I hope you're not offended by this at all, but it feels like New Brunswick is one gigantic forest. Just drive. There's so many trees there. It's just beautiful and breathtaking. And then, and then all the way out to PEI. And all along the way, I'm uh, I'm at the wheel of the van, you know, and, and going along there. And we will come around the bend, and all of a sudden, just opens up into this breathtaking scene, just like like a painting. Only it's the real thing, you know, like a this river and a lake, and maybe a mountain in the background and trees. Like, oh, look at that! Look at that! Here all the time. I just hear myself saying, "Look at, look at over there! Oh, look at that! Oh, look at that!" Now, some members of my family. I've got earbuds in, and they're on their, their devices, you know, killing time. So I don't know that they're really looking at that. But it's a true observation for me that when I see beauty or something that takes my breath away, I just can't help it. Look at that. Look. Because it's true that we praise what we enjoy. And when we see that which is awesome and remarkable, we can't help but say something about it. And it's never more true than when we encounter God. When we see with the eyes of our heart something of him. That's why I said to you that I think the key imperative is in verse 7. At the end of that verse, God is the one you must fear. Not a kind of fear wherein we avoid God, but a kind of healthy fear by which we take him seriously. What Solomon is observing when he came into the house of the Lord is that there was a lack of fear of God, a lack of reverence. Kidner, uh, the, the commentator, Derek Kidner, he picks up in this word dreams in verse 7. See that word dreams? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. He, he suggests to us that, that the, the idea here is that, that worship has been reduced to verbal doodling. Verbal, I like that phrase, verbal doodling. It's just fun to say. Try it, verbal doodling. It's just, I don't know. It just sounds like something cheesy and tasty, but it's not when it's worship. Do you remember the Etch-a-Sketch? Remember, how many of you remember the Etch-a-Sketch? Right? Like, oh, yeah, yeah. So for young people, this was like the prehistoric iPad. Because what you got... It was this plastic thing. It had a red frame in it and a little screen in the middle. And there was these two yellow knobs, right? Like, doesn't this take you back? And you can just sit there. And what you do with an Etch-a-Sketch is you just lay hold of these, these two little yellow knobs and you just start spinning them and you turn them. And as you do, a line starts to appear. You can make it go this way and that way. And it's like super fun. They ought to bring it back. And when you're done, you just take the thing, shake it. You got a clean slate. You start all over again. Now, when you start, when you're playing with an Etch-a-Sketch, you might have an idea in your mind, but really the the whole idea is you just doodle. Just let your fingers lead you and see what happens, what kind of artistry emerges. It's, you don't need a whole lot of mind engagement and care. That's not the point of an Etch-a-Sketch. If that's what you're into, then learn to paint. If you got an Etch-a-Sketch, though, just have fun. That's what it's about. A Kidner, when he looks at this verse, thinks about for when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. He thinks of, it reminds us that, you know, what the, what the author is showing us here is that he shows up the worship service and people are singing songs and praying prayers and saying praises, but their hearts and their minds are disengaged. They're just doodling, maybe drooling. Worship. The origin of an English word for worship comes from the idea of worthiness. 
somebody who's worthy of being worshipped. The New Testament idea, of the, when we see the word worship, is the idea of falling prostrate, falling on your face before one who is great, acknowledging greatness and God's greatness and my smallness, acknowledging that he's worthy of my adoration. And so when I worship, I express his worth-ship. And I worship. We ascribe to him his worthiness and his greatness and his supreme value. It's expressing honor to God that we believe he deserves. Now, there's more than one sense in which we read about this concept of worship. I'd suggest to you that there's sometimes in Scripture we see that we are called to worship God indirectly. What I mean by that, I don't want to be confused by the word indirectly, but what I mean by that is we are called to worship God in terms of how we live our lives to live our lives as sanctified unto him. For example, I think of a verse like Romans 12, verse 1. It says, present your bodies. I mean, that's pretty physical. Present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So there's a sense in which we worship God by living our lives for him. Jesus has saved us from sin by faith so that we would be people whose lives are lived as worship unto God because he's worthy. We worship God indirectly by living our lives for him. But more prominently in scripture, when we see that concept of worship, we more prominently, more commonly see it as worshiping God directly, namely verbally, prayerfully, musically, ascribing to him glory. So for example, you read a verse like Psalm 100 verse two, it says, worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. So that's like direct worship of God. Or Psalm 95 and verse 6. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. Again, direct personal worship to God. Or Psalm 96 verse 7. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the, or families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and Come into his courts. Worship the Lord in splendor of holiness. A call to directly worship God, ascribing to him praise and glory. Worship of God is central to the life of a believer, and it's a central function of the local church. And while it does include love, affection, adoration, joy, and thanksgiving, it is also accompanied by and inspired by a sense of awe when we see with the eyes of our hearts something of who God is. I want to ask you this morning, is there something of that in your heart today? Are you in even a small way today gripped by the greatness of God? When was the last time you were gripped by the greatness of God? For some of us honest this morning, we think, Mm. It's been a while. See, the heart of a worshiper is one that's marked by reverence for God. And sometimes we can show up at church and go home and feel like we're missing something. And there could be lots of different reasons for that. But I think a common one is this a lack of reverence and wonder for God. That's the main point. I think the principle here in this text is this, is that where reverence is lacking, worship is empty. 
Where reverence is lacking, worship is empty. Again, verse 7, for where dreams increase, that verbal doodling, and words grow many, there is vanity. Like when there's disengagement of heart and mind when it comes to worshiping God, it's empty. And I think we feel that. Like I, like I think we know that. But we see it here in Scripture, so it's important we say it. Where worship is reduced to a religious sing-along, where people, even leaders, are without some awareness, some knowledge of God and who he is and the greatness of his power, the glory of his goodness, the depths of his wisdom, the majesty of his person, then what we do here on Sunday morning is lifeless, limp, and frankly lame. If we don't have a sense of the worthiness of the God, we worship. Where reverence is lacking, worship is empty. Well, I think most of us here today would say, I don't want empty worship. I don't, I don't want to just show up and sing stuff and say stuff. Lots of you this morning coming here, you're hearing this, you're like, no, I, I really do want to worship God. I, I, don't, I don't want to lack reverence before him. How, how can I tell? How can I, how can I diagnose my own heart? How can I tell if reverence is lacking in me? Well, there's lots of things we could say, but there's two things that emerge to me in this text. One, I think I see here that reverence is lacking when I'm casual in attitude toward God. When I'm casual in attitude toward God. Notice again, verse one, how he begins the passage. Remember, he's, he's troubled by what he sees going on down at the, down at the worship, the house of the Lord, to the worship service. And so his opening line as he, as he delves into this is, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Pay attention. Look, see. Don't be casual. Don't just, in your, when you go to meet with the Lord personally in your home or in your car or in your office, don't, don't just show up there just sort of casually strolling in. Remind yourself, even for a moment, of what it is that you're doing. Watch your step here. Think, what is it I am doing here? I'm looking to God. I'm seeking him. God! But reverence is lacking when I'm casual in attitude toward God. When, when we're casual, we're, we're not too serious, right? We sort of, sort of take it easy. Like, you know, if you have a casual conversation, you, you're not talking about things that are too intense, okay? So we're not going to talk about the Maple Leafs because that's intense right now, and they're troubled by that. But we'll talk instead about the weather. We'll talk about, you know, the, the, how brown the grass has been lately. We'll talk about, you know, what's happening this fall. Just casual chit-chat conversation, casual conversation. When you're, when you're casual, it's chill. It's, it's easy going. When you, when you dress casually, it's just sort of, it just conveys a sense, you don't have to worry too much about it. I mean, don't show up as a slob, but don't, don't overthink it. It's just casual. You love going somewhere where it's casual dress. It means I, I just sort of take it easy. When it's casual, it has everything to do with ordinary, plain, no big deal. But when I have a casual attitude with God, I'm treating him like he's ordinary, plain, no big deal. But he is a big deal. If the attitude of my heart is that this God we're talking about is the big man upstairs, that's what I'm talking about. And maybe in fairness, you've never learned otherwise. I, I'm so glad you're here. I don't want you to feel judged or put up, but I'm just saying, if your concept of God is sort of like a big grandpa in the sky that hands out worthers, no, no, no. No, that's, that's not right. That's not him. It's not what he's like. He is God. 
I have a friend of mine, when he begins his prayers, many times I hear him begin his prayers when we pray together. He said, blessed are, blessed are you, O Lord my God, King of the universe. Now, that can become rote. And we can kind of get used to saying that. But when I hear him pray it, I don't hear him just going through the motions. You don't have to pray like that. I'm not putting a law on you. I'm just showing that, illustrating that sometimes we can get pretty casual in our attitude toward God. And that's a sign that reverence is lacking. He's our father in Jesus. He's our father. You know that, right? Like one of the reasons Jesus died for you is so that you would go from being an enemy of God to being friends with God, even family, part of the family of God. When you put your trust in Jesus, God adopts you as his son or his daughter. So you are welcome in. You're indeed for him family. So there is a kind of nearness, but that doesn't take away from his awesomeness. Where reverence is lacking, where reverence is lacking, it is when I have a casual attitude toward God. And that's the enemy of true worship because it reflects a heart that's not engaged with the God we're worshiping. Hebrews 12, 28, 29 says this. It says, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship. Notice, with reverence and awe. Notice that on the screen? With reverence and awe. What's acceptable worship? It's, there's, there's reverence in it. There's, there's wonder. There's a, a, a sense of being gripped by the greatness of God. Reverence and awe. And then notice the last line. For our God is a consuming fire. And again, all God's people said, whoa, a consuming fire. It's not a campfire where you cook your hot dog and roast your marshmallow. You can get pretty near to that. I mean, not too near, but you can get right up close to that and warm your hands and heat up your coffee and put your feet up. You do not do that, though, around a consuming fire. How is God a consuming fire? Because he's the king of the universe. He is the righteous judge. And the reality is, is that the Bible teaches us that without Jesus, we are consumed by him in judgment. But when you know Jesus, Jesus is like a fire blanket around you that the, the wrath of God will never touch because you stand forgiven because of the work of Jesus. Our God is a consuming fire, loved ones. We can't come to a God like that with a casual attitude. Reverence is lacking when I'm casual in attitude toward God. Reverence is lacking also when I'm careless with my words about God or to him. One manifestation of a casual attitude is what comes out of our mouth and what we say. He calls in verse 1 the sacrifice of fools. He says in verse 2, to not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. Rash, hasty speech is things we say without thinking. You ever said stuff without thinking? Oh, yeah. A few times. Say stuff. You say stuff, and you're just like, I want to try to catch that up and put that back in, but it's too late. We've all done it. But we dare not make a habit of it in worship before God. The reason for this admonition, because of the greatness of God. Notice the end of verse 2. God is in heaven, and you are on earth. Think about that. He is transcendent and overall. Near, he brings us near to himself in Jesus. So it's wonderful. He's our father. We have close fellowship with him. But it doesn't change the fact that he is God. 
And there ought to be in our hearts a sense of tenderness and fondness and nearness and vulnerability and at the same time wonder at the God that he is. Reverence is lacking when I'm careless with my words about God or to God. He even calls out making promises in verse 4. When you make a vow to God, not delay in paying it for he has no pleasure he has no pleasure in fools. Makes me think about, I read that verse, it makes, about, makes me think about the number of times where God has spoken to me, shown me something in his word, or I've heard something in a sermon, and I agree with God that that's something I'm not doing and need to start doing, something I am doing, need to stop doing. I agree with him, and I commit before him by faith I'm going to do it. And then I don't do it. Anybody here ever done that before? Maybe I'm the only one. That's the kind of thing he's talking about. Let me get really painfully awkward for you. If you weren't here last week, you're excused, okay? I mean, you're not excused for not being here, but no, I'm just kidding, okay? If you were here last week, at the end of my sermon, I gave uh, three uh, exhortations. Name it, check it, walk it. We're talking about wrestling, uh, wrestling with, with times in our lives when we're having a hard time making sense of God. And my pastoral appeal to you at the end was in your wrestling with God, the thing that's grieving you, the thing you're having your troubles with, I want you to name that thing before the Lord. Speak it to the Lord. Tell him what it is. And then check it. Check your attitude. Is my heart right before him? And then walk it to commit before the Lord to walk the path that he's put before me. Now, you don't have to show your hands, but I want to ask you, did you do that? Did you act on that? And if you're sitting here feeling like, oh, no, actually, I didn't, I'm not saying it to make you feel bad. I'm saying it to illustrate the fact that you and I, we do this more often than we wish we did. We will commit to something before the Lord and don't do it. And we're the ones who suffer. Now, loved ones, I understand loads of grace for me here. There's, we've got limitations. We've got circumstances beyond our control. But the point is, is that God is not honored when we commit before him and don't follow through. The point here is to be careful what you say. Because an evidence of reverence being lacking is when you just say stuff before God, to God, that you don't mean. The heart of worship is marked by reverence for God. Where reverence is lacking, worship is empty. My call and my appeal to you today is to worship God like you mean it. Like to be into him. A few years ago, actually quite a few years ago, Leanne and I went on a trip to uh, Washington, D.C. And uh, we went there with a couple of friends and I uh, actually went there, I was doing some, uh, a project for school actually at the time and I was going there and I needed to go to a certain museum. And so we, uh, we, we were, did the tourist thing as well, but uh, our first day there, remember we had heard the best way to get around is use the subway system. Now, if you've been to Washington, D.C., you know that the subway system is not simple in Washington. It is complicated. There are multiple lines. There's layers, like tracks that go over each other, and uh, it's complicated. And so here we are, brand new to the city. We're like, well, we know the place where we got to go. We don't know how to get there, but 
No problem, there'll be a map on the wall. So here we go, down the escalator, down, 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 down the escalator. And then we, we walk over the map, and there it is. And all these different lines are all in different colors. And it just, it looks like, looked like a rainbow on drugs or something. Like, it was just everywhere. And we're, we're standing there, it's totally confused. So I did the truly manly thing, and this is truly manly. I went and I asked for help. I went over to the booth, and there was a guy working in the booth. He's kind of slumped over there looking. And uh, I'm like, I don't know how this is going to go. But I'm like, excuse me, sir, we're trying to get to this museum. Uh, can you help us figure out how to get there? He leans forward. He's like, just a minute. I'm like, oh boy. He's like, have I got the employee of the month here or do I have the employee of the month? What's this going to be? He stands up and he hitches up his belt. Now when he stood up, this man filled that booth. And he stepped out of the booth and he walked over. He's like, follow me. And he walked, we all just sort of follow over behind him. And we go over to this board and uh, he turns around and he says, students, this is a map of the subway system for Washington, D.C. You will notice that there are different colors. Each color represents a different line, a different kind of train. You, my friends, are going to a stop, and your stop is going to be Smithsonian. That is going to be on the orange line, so you'll be wanting the orange train. What line are you looking for? Orange. Very good. You're going to get the orange train. You're going to go down these escalators onto the platform, and you will watch for the train, the orange train again. It will come, and it will take you to your destination. When you get to Smithsonian, you will step off your train, and you will have a ride at your destination. And then and we said, oh, thank you very much. And so he asked us, so what train line do you need again? We're like, orange. Very good. And he said, now here are your diplomas. And he pulled out these little subway maps. And they gave each of us a diploma, shook our hands. And he says, now this way. And he showed us the way that he's going to go down there and you're going to wait on the platform and your train will arrive soon. <laughs> We're like, thanks. Amazing. So we go down there in the big city, Washington, D.C., all kinds of people around this busy uh, subway station. We're waiting there and waiting, waiting. Finally, we feel the breeze and hear the train coming, and sure enough, here comes the train, orange on the front of it, that's our train, and then all of a sudden, we heard over the loudspeaker a really familiar voice. Approaching on the westbound track on the orange line is the orange train. So, if your stop is Smithsonian, this is your train. <laughs> wow. Now, I remember in that moment thinking, Lord, help me in my life to make people feel the way he made us feel. But I reserved the right to retell the story in that sermon down the road. But I think about this text, and I think, you know what? There is a man who was into what he was doing. Are you into what you're doing when you come to worship the Lord? That's the call. You say, well, how do I do that? How do I get there? Surely it's not just by deciding, no. You'll get nowhere in willpower. You need grace. How do I get that kind of grace? I would suggest to you three things. Number one, be renewed in wonder. Be renewed in wonder, wonder of God. But how do I do that? I have some ideas for you. I think if you're to be renewed in wonder, one very important thing you can do is listen. Listen to the scriptures. Listen to the word of God. That could be by listening to it read to you, or it could be listening by reading it. But when we read the word of God, there we hear from God himself. And there he works by his spirit to open our eyes to see him. I would give you some particular texts. I'll read these through twice. But if you need some help being renewed in wonder, I would encourage you to read any one of these passages. Isaiah chapter 6. Ezekiel chapter 1. I'll read these through again. 
Isaiah 6, Ezekiel 1, Revelation 1, Revelation 21 and 22, Job chapters 38 through 42. I'll read those again. Isaiah 6, Ezekiel 1, Revelation 1, Revelation 21 and 22, and in the book of Job, chapters 38 to 42. Why these texts? I would just tell you from my own experience that these texts, I have found the Lord uses these to stir up in my heart wonder at God. These are passages in which we directly see something of the glory of God. And there's other passages too. These are just some of my favorites when it comes to seeing the greatness of God. Be renewed in wonder. How do I do that? Listen. How do I do that? Observe. Look around you. Look around you. If there's no clouds tonight, who knows what it'll be, but if there are no clouds, look at that sunset. Isn't that something? If there are clouds, look at those clouds. They're majestic up there. They just hang there, loom over us, and drop water on us sometimes. How, is that? How does that happen? It's a God who spoke it into being. Look at the little things. Look at the flowers in your garden. Look at them. Before you smack it, look at that little bug. Look at that thing, the little legs, little wings. Marvel at the things that God has made. And see there something of his wisdom and his creativity and his power. Look, listen, observe, pray. Pray, Lord, show me your glory. Renew my sense of wonder of you because you are wonderful. But my heart is so dull, Lord. Be renewed in wonder. Listen, observe, pray. Second, be ready for worship. Be ready for worship. When you go to worship the Lord personally, ask the Lord to help you to be alert to what it is you're doing and to see something of him. Just ask him, Lord, I want to meet with you. Be ready for worship by confessing. Confessing sin. Repenting. Sometimes the distance that we feel, the, the dullness of heart, the lack of reverence in our lives is because we're not revering God in our actions, in our attitudes, in our living. Confess that to the Lord and bask in the forgiveness that's found in Jesus. Be ready for worship personally. Be ready for worship with your family. Be ready for worship when you gather with your church family. Be ready. Do, do you prepare yourself at all before you come to church? The vast majority of you prepare yourselves physically. You all look wonderful all the time. I mean that. You look great. But do you prepare your heart before you come to church? Do you, are you mindful of the fact that you're coming here to meet with God's people with the purpose really ultimately to encounter God? Do you know that? When, for worship leaders and Alec and his team, do you know that that's what you're doing? You're not leading a sing-along up here. We don't need worship leaders to have a sing-along. We can just play some Garth Brooks and sing along, and that's what we're going to do. But when you gather here, we're not just singing songs. We're, we're leading in worship, looking to God, expressing our affections and wonder at him. Be ready for worship. Prepare my heart again by remembering what it is I'm coming to do. 
Be ready for worship. Third, finally, be mindful of what it is you're doing. Like what Pastor Alec will say to us from time to time, let's worship the Lord together. That, that's not a throwaway line. But it is what we're doing. Let's worship the Lord together. Think about what it is that you're singing. Think about what it is that you're saying or saying amen to. And loved ones, I know for sure that this is, for, all, for many of us, if not most of us, this is something that doesn't come easily. I find myself very easily distracted. Perhaps you do too. But the conscious reminder that this is what I'm doing. I'm here to worship the Lord. Guard your steps when you come to the house of God. Be awake and alert to what it is that I'm doing. Some of the most precious moments that you will have in your life are those times of worship, personally, in your home, and with your church family, because you're seeking to see God and to acknowledge and honor him. Let's pray about these things together.